Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode 34. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. Matt, what's up? Not too much. Just uh, trained in the morning and went to laser tag after for a friend's birthday um, and haven't done that since I was 12. Laser tag is one of the best ways to supplement your jujitsu training. It's very relevant. A lot of similar motions. Uh, what's actually awesome about laser tag is I, I forgot how good of a workout it actually is. We did three rounds. Each round was 20 minutes and I was drenched by the end of it and I was trying hard not to sweat. <laughs> But it's uh, it's 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 fun. I mean, I I think paintball is a little bit more fun because you have the the real consequence of pain if you get hit. But uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. The thing I don't like about paintball is I am afraid to hurt. And you mentioned that, that there is a consequence yeah. of pain when you're doing paintball. Yeah. The nice thing about laser tag is there is no such consequence. But yeah. you know you've got a good type of exercise when you can get a, a good workout and you don't even realize that you're sweating. Yeah. You know, you just you're just having fun. So today we'll be talking about laser tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the world's only jujitsu slash laser tag podcast. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So today we're going to be talking actually about funneling. This is a mental model that we discussed earlier in our predictable responses episode, I believe. But funneling is a really important concept, especially when it comes to putting together a winning game plan for jujitsu. This is something that I think we're probably going to start talking a lot more about and having more episodes about, and that is the strategic nature of how to build an effective game plan for jiu-jitsu. That is so important to when it comes towards having a cohesive strategy for winning, and really this is something that if I could go back in time, I would have liked to have started thinking actively about mm -hmm. earlier in my journey rather than later. Yeah, depending on where you train, your instructor might be very uh, knowledgeable in terms of competition they might help you hone your game for for competition or they might just leave that part to you entirely uh, which which would be a bit unfortunate but today we're going to discuss what funneling is competition versus learning and training and uh, and yeah how, how you can sort of hone your game for depending on what your desire is yeah yeah so most people if you're like me you know you when you started training jujitsu you found some moves that work for you and some that don't and you kind of put together a patchwork of moves that might not really have anything to do with each other or really tie into each other into a strategic game plan Funneling is all about getting the game to the place where you're strongest. Everyone who trains has an area of strength and funneling is the strategy of getting to that area while denying your opponent the ability to get to their area of strength. So the other half would be sort of analyzing your opponent's strengths and trying to deny them of those strengths. It's actually... Uh... 
very common concept in military warfare called asymmetric 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 warfare. warfare. Asymmetric warfare. Um, you never want to strike your opponent when they are strong or you are weak. You want to tip the scales into your favor, and that it's funny that rings through all the way different combat sports or even warfare. So, yeah, you see this in the example of guerrilla warfare, for example, where if you are going up against a much stronger army, you don't want to face them head on. And in jiu-jitsu, very similarly, you never want to face your opponent head on. You want to go to the area of your strength. A lot of that is going to come down to whichever kinds of techniques you are good at. A lot of it might come down to body type or even the particular dynamics of the, the kind of match that you think you're going to get into. For example, if you train primarily in nogi and you train primarily in open weight divisions, that could really influence the type of game that you want to play because the kind of moves that might be more effective for you could vary depending on the size of your opponent. And so a big part of funneling is understanding the context of where you're going to apply the fight. Yeah, and trying to be also um, aware of the type of opponent you're fighting. If you're fighting a stand-up fighter and points are on the line, it might not be the smartest idea to stand with them. If you pull guard, you take away some of their biggest strengths. Um, and then that's, you know, if you can land a sweep from the bottom position and get on top, uh, not knowing what their guard is going to be like, but I assume that if someone's a heavy takedown player, they're probably going to want to be on top, right? So tipping the scales in your favor and making your opponent be uncomfortable is kind of part of the funneling process. Yeah, so funneling was originally coined by Nelson Puentes, who is the founder of Inverted Gear, but also a jiu-jitsu black belt. And he wrote a really, really awesome article about this term and his approach. And really the way that he describes this is you've got areas where you're comfortable and where you know the predictable responses that your opponent is likely going to put forth. And you know this just through training. You know, all of us have moves where we, we wind up in these positions more frequently than others because they are areas of comfort for us. And if you train one area over and over and over again, then at some point you're going to feel like you've seen everything, right? If you're primarily a neon belly player, then it's going to get to the point where you are so used to playing that position that you kind of feel comfortable no matter what your opponent is going to do. So the idea behind funneling is getting your opponent into places where you are comfortable and you feel not, not just are you experienced and you have a series of strong attacks and techniques from there, but also you are fluent in the predictable responses that your opponent is likely going to put forth so that no matter what your opponent does, you can tighten the noose just a little bit more. Yeah, I guess I guess also another important thing to talk about would be the idea of what a specialist is. And essentially what a specialist is is someone who has, uh, you know, is, is very, very high level in a certain aspect. Say, you know, Mendez brothers are really good at barambolos. I mean, they're obviously they're really good all around. But um, if I'm going into a competition and I know that I'm fighting a, a really good guard player, it's probably in my best interest to try to get to guard first. Um, if we double pull, then the person who comes up first is going to get an advantage, but then the person on the bottom is going to have a chance to sweep for two points. So it's very strategical in how you plan who, if, if you know who you're fighting ahead of time, understanding what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then, you know, trying to, trying to shut that game down. So a really great guard player who has an excellent guard might be almost impassable. It might be smart for you to try to get to your guard first, assuming that you have a good guard. Mm -hmm. And that's a good point that you might want to adjust your strategy depending on the opponent. One of the things that Nelson outlined when he coined this term was that 
he has multiple funnels. You know, you normally don't just have one funnel. Normally, you have multiple contextual strategies to get you to your place of comfort. Maybe you have one, one funnel that you apply when you're standing up to get to where you want to go. You have one if you score a successful takedown. You have one if you're on the bottom in guard. You have one if you lose your guard. But the idea is that you always want to get the car back on the road. You know, where regardless of where you are, you want to be able to steer the game back to the area where you are comfortable and most competent. That's really the objective here. Yeah, and I, I, I like to use the word like adapt, adaptation, I just refer to it as. Whereas, so, so let me just describe like before in my early competition days, I wouldn't really have a game plan. I just go in there. If I felt like pulling guard, I would pull guard and I was just going to do what I wanted to do. Like it's almost... Um, it's almost like having a tunnel vision almost. And, and I wasn't really th- trying to be aware of what my opponent was doing. Um, and as a result, you know, if, if I got my guard passed then the consequences would be way worse than if I had backup plans and all these different things. Whereas now when I try and go in a competition, I don't, I don't pull guard right away. I try and assess what my opponent's doing um, because I've paid for it so many times where I pull guard on someone who's an excellent passer. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh man, maybe I should have cooked you on the feet a little bit before I pull guard. So trying to understand your opponent's body language and, and sort of assess how they're going to take the fight to you is really important and it takes it takes mindfulness to be able to do that to be able to step back and say okay uh, this is how this guy's going to play this fight because every fight's different you can you can practice pulling guard and getting your position every time but that doesn't mean that that's always going to be the best answer for that opponent right so so being able to adapt in the moment and and uh make tweaks to your game plan and just have like you said steve multiple funnels to sort of fall back on is is a really important piece to competition yeah what you don't want to do is have one strategy and cling to that strategy no matter how much it's not working. Yeah. Uh, you shared that post with me from John Danaher about myopia, which I think was a great way to describe this. Um, I've always referred to this as tunnel vision like you did or you know, like having blinders on where you've got one thing in mind and you are stubbornly sticking to that plan even when it's clearly not working. Yeah. I think everyone can relate to this and probably the most common situation is when you think you see a submission and you're just going for it and going for it and you clearly don't have it but like a monkey with the hand in a cookie jar you just can't bring yourself to let it go. Yeah. To your point that does require a degree of mindfulness because you need to understand at what point when you know at what point clinging on to what's not working is going to eventually wind up hurting you. Um, and that's why you you often need to have multiple funnels. You need to have multiple strategies for depending on what kind of energy your opponent is giving to you. Yeah, like that uh, that old song, knowing when to hold them, when to fold them. Uh, <clears throat> we were just practicing leg locks today at, at the school and understanding when a leg lock attempt has gone south and when you need to, tr- as the leg locker, if your opponent builds base and starts to begin the process of clearing their knee, you can't keep holding on to that leg lock. Just like if you were to go for an arm bar and your opponent's building their alignment back, if you keep going for that arm bar, you're going to get your guard passed. Similar to leg locks, if you keep holding on to leg locks, you're going to leave yourself exposed. Your opponent's going to possibly spin out and take your back or do something else. So it's really important to know, okay, when is this move worth sacrificing now and going and moving on to something else? That's kind of uh, that that shows a lot of maturity in for a grappler to be able to uh, burn the dead wood and be able to to move on just to salvage the situation and get back on track. Uh, the consequence of tunnel vision 
as a competitor, the the consequences are really bad because now you have your mindset on one thing, it's not working, it's starting to get shut down. Now you're getting frustrated and you're starting to panic because things are not going the way you wanted. You get your guard passed, all of a sudden, everything is really bad and now on the fly what during all this panic and all this all this craziness you have to now come up with a brand new game plan just to get back and start again and once you do get back to a guard or whatever you know you're down points it's just not the place you want to be you want to be able to just like in chess you want to be able to set yourself up several moves ahead and this is kind of like uh we're building a game plan for competition is so important rather than and, and by game plan i don't mean like i'm gonna go in there pull guard sweep get on top pass because you know in a perfect world that that's what you would do but but to be able to have backup plans for you know if my opponent starts blitzing me and i have to maintain my guard if my opponent you know um pulls guard on me i have to now be willing to play the top position and and fight from there and work my passing not just being on the bottom so it's it's important to have like two sides of the spectrum and when you watch guys like the mendez bros you can see that they have multiple funnels they're excellent uh winning from the standing position they're obviously excellent in the guard position barambolos all the all these different things so like understanding and and basically trying to well round your game so you're good everywhere i think is is kind of the definition of being a complete grappler yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because that's a the same strategy that you want to use in almost any type of planning anywhere in the world right if if anyone has ever had experience with public speaking or preparing a speech then you probably know that the worst thing you can do is write out a speech and try to memorize it word by word because eventually something's going to happen you're going to forget something or you're going to stumble over your words yeah. or something's going to distract you and you're going to fall off your game and if you're following a script word for word and you get taken off that script you don't really have a clear path to getting back on it that's where you see a lot of public speakers just kind of fall apart and any type of planning works that way um, that's why funneling is a very very good approach to creating a game plan rather than trying to set up exactly what's going to happen and you know having like trying to memorize every single step that's not really a good approach because you can't control what your opponent's going to do um, the better thing to do is set up a series of high level strategies and have ideas of how to get things onto the track that you want and that's why you want to have multiple little funnels all over the place you want to have a funnel for what to do when you're standing you want to have a funnel for what to do when you're playing guard you want to have a funnel for what to do when you're on top really you always you don't need to know every single individual step but you've got to have a way from any position and any situation to get back onto the track that you want to be on that's really what funneling is all about yeah and and when you're talking about like uh you know not not needing to know every single move or everything mm -hmm. that's where for me the uh the concepts of alignment and all that stuff and lever fighting that that kind of really fills the gaps in because now instead of thinking about how am i going to do my favorite moves or whatever or what you know i'm on top god what technique am i going to use i just think about fighting levers i think about creating wedges and isolating limbs on my opponent uh on my opponent so it's it a lot of the time simplicity is a lot more effective than uh you know as many details as possible yeah generally speaking the more details that are baked into your plan the harder that plan is going to be able to adapt when things go in a direction you don't expect uh, 
I read this really awesome book called The Third Door. I can't remember the name of the author, but in that book, he has a, a discussion with Quincy Jones, and there was a really great quote coming out of that, which is that um, you want to have a solid foundation and a flexible perimeter. So basically meaning that when you have a strategy or a plan, the core of that should be solid and consistent and the same, but all of the little details on the fringes, these are the things that you can adapt or change on the fly as long as you can get back to where you want to go. That's really the, the essence to quality planning in any walk of life. So, Matt, we've talked so far about funneling in the context of competition. Uh, of course, when you're competing, your primary objective is to win. So your funnels are going to be built with the intent of getting people into your A game. But that's not the only situation where you can use funnels. You can also use funnels in the opposite direction to get to your Z game or, you know, or to your area of weakness. Um, and from my perspective, when you're training on the mats, you know, sometimes this is what you want to do. Rather than trying to play your A game against everyone in the gym, you might want to set up scenarios that guide into where you're weak because that gives you the opportunity to learn and to expand your knowledge. Yeah, it's an interesting thing how in competition we tend to want to shut down our opponent as much as possible and be as effective as possible. And in training, if you train in my opinion, if you train intelligently, you sometimes want to funnel your opponent into your weak spots. So, uh, for instance, getting caught in a leg entanglement so you can work your way out, getting caught in a, uh, giving up a bad position so you can work your way out, um, and just training yourself to really strengthen your weaknesses. This is a really um, important concept. And, you know, there, there's always going to be those guys in the gym that don't want to give up any points or you know, they, it's 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 ADCC every time you're training with them. But this isn't, in my opinion, the most effective way to learn, okay? And uh, it's important to have different goals. Obviously, in training, if you're, you know, practicing for the Worlds or ADCC trials or whatever, you, you're going to want to try and win. You're going to want to try and get your points, solidify, shut down your partner. It's not going to be a fun role for them. But then there's also going to be times... Especially if you're a high rank guy, ideally you would you know let the lower ranks do some work their game a little bit as well. But you 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 know most of the time if learning is your goal, you want to be able to let people move. You know, not necessarily just shut them down and prevent them from doing what they want to do because you can see a return out of rolling with a, a lower rank if you do that. Whereas if you roll with a white belt and you literally just smother them for the whole five ten minutes whatever not only are you not going to get much out of it, they're definitely not going to get much out of it. They're just going to get smashed the whole time. So, um, you know, so, so I remember reading that one of the reasons Marcelo is so great, Marcelo Garcia, is because he lets his part, uh, training partners move and then he tries to get ahead of the sequence and counter their movements. So he's almost like funneling them into an escape and then before they can even escape or establish a position, he actually beats them to the to their counter and that's kind of, I think, really good jujitsu to be able to to predict and funnel and then cut the person off before they're even able to uh, to get their to get their safety zone back. Yeah, and what you're talking about there is very much an example of where he has studied the predictable responses to these moves, so he's able to guide them down his funnel. He's an expert in these areas, so he knows what they're likely to do next, and he's ready to move immediately on those actions. Much like we talked about in the predictable responses episode, if you know what your opponent is likely to do, then you don't have to wait for your brain to catch up with your body. You know, you can just move, and that gives you a speed and a reaction time advantage over an otherwise very capable opponent. Um, 
On, on that topic, though, you know, this ties into something we've brought up earlier, which is that when you're training, sometimes it's good to either intentionally go where you're weak or to remove the techniques from your, your game that are part of your A game so that you're forced to focus on the things that are not that strong. Um, funneling is a really good way to do that when your focus is on training and learning. And an example I can give is I found at one point that most of the time when I was getting tapped out, it was people grabbing grabbing onto my back and getting a rear naked choke. So what I did was I set up a whole bunch of funnels to get to turtle and to get and to get to the position where my opponent could take my back and then work out of that and come up on top. And after a while, I got to the point where I was so comfortable in that position that it became extremely hard for people to actually take my back and choke me from there. And that all came about simply because I intentionally built funnels into that area of the game. So now granted, this is not a wise thing to do if you're trying to actually win, but when you're on the mats with your training partners and you're trying to learn, this is a really good way to actually expand upon the areas where you might be weakest. Yeah, I actually just... um uh, last week rolled with Dom Bell who who was up here for a seminar and I got a, an invite to a special training session for those who don't know Dom Bell is I believe he's heavyweight and he's a black belt under Andre Galvao and uh, I think he won Nogi Worlds as well and really decorated uh, fantastic grappler and like when I go train with him do you think I'm going to try and give him my weaknesses like I know that if uh, he gets in a good position and he he was actually really great to roll with like he wasn't trying to kill me or anything but I knew that that if I give him anything, the consequence of, of losing a bad position against someone so good, you know, the rest of the round is probably going to be straight misery for me. So, so I really, you know, tried to give him my A game. I tried to not get my guard passed and, 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 uh, I tried to not get swept as long as possible. Right. And depending on what your goals are, depending on who you're rolling with, what rank you're rolling with, you know, if, if I'm going to visit another school, if I go to the States and I want to train, I'm probably going to try pretty hard. I want to, I, I don't want to make a fool of myself. Um, but you know, if I'm rolling with my white belts or so, someone who is, who is at a lower level than me, I'm going to give them more to play with. I'm going to, so that it's a learning experience for them, but also I get something out of it too. I get to practice how to escape certain positions. And, uh, you know, working your weaknesses, it's, it's like a muscle, right? You have to, you have to break it a little bit to, to grow and, and put yourself in those uncomfortable positions. And that, that's kind of what jujitsu is all about, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also simultaneously important to also work your A game sometimes too, because like a muscle, it can atrophy if you ignore it. Right? Exactly. Something that I found too, is if you spend all of your time just training your weaknesses, then eventually your A game kind of devolves to your B game. So it's something to yeah. keep in mind is you've got to make sure that you're simultaneously training your best strategies, but you're also simultaneously shoring up your weaknesses. So there's kind of these two things that you have to juggle at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we talked about funneling. We've talked about what it is, how it's pertinent to competition, how it's pertinent to training on the mats. I guess the next question is how do you build your funnel? Like how do you find out, you know, what your A game is? Um, or simultaneously, if you have an area of weakness, how do you find out what that is? And how do you then build a funnel around it? So from my perspective, Matt, and you can chime in here if you, ha if you feel differently, the first thing that you need to do is you need to understand both where your greatest strengths are and where your greatest weaknesses are. 
You know, we've talked in the past about the Pareto principle, often known as the 80-20 rule. Basically, the idea is that like in many, many situations, 80% of the results come from 20% of the effort. You see this a lot in economics, for example, or in wealth distribution. But it, it also tends to apply when people are analyzing their own gains. For most of the people out there who are listening to this, I am going to guess that if you like actually took out a pen and paper and tallied up every single time you got a submission on the mats, for example, you would probably find that there is a pretty tight distribution there where most of your successes are coming from the same moves. Like I'm going to guess for most of you, if you were to write down the last 10 submissions you, you, that you had, they probably weren't 10 different moves. It was probably like you got the same thing like somewhere between five to eight times and then there was a bunch of other stuff that you got one-offs here and there. And for most of us, that's going to be the case. We all have things that we're good at or that we're special that we specialize in. And the first thing that you need to do when it comes to building up your game plan is understanding where are my fundamental strengths? Where, what are the things that I truly understand? So once you know that, then you need to work backwards from there. And to be clear, this doesn't necessarily mean just a submission. Like ultimately, yes, a submission is an end goal, but this could also mean what kind of like control positions am I really good at? What kind of guards am I really good at? And you want to have multiple funnels to get to each of these. Yeah. So for myself, for example, um, one of the areas where I'm most comfortable is single leg X guard and sweeps into leg drags. So I have a lot of entries into that. Uh, I used to kind of play my guard based on really whatever I felt at the time made the most sense or whatever moves I felt I was kind of okay at. But I've really focused and narrowed in recently on single leg X guard and trying to get into that position. So once I've established that that's where I want my funnel to go, I then look at my game and try and figure out, okay, what sweeps and entries do I know that will get me into single leg X card and I focus on training those. Uh, similarly, if I'm getting into situations where I want to go to single leg X card but I can't, I then ask around and see if I can find a way to do it. You know, a, pr a problem that I was having a lot is if, if there was distance between me and my opponent and I, I was kneeling down and my opponent was standing, I had a really hard time closing that distance mm -hmm. and getting into single leg X card. So Engagement uh, phase. Exactly. So basically from the engagement phase, I was having trouble getting in that close. So I specifically asked people who trained this position a lot and I was able to shore that up over time. But the idea is from almost everywhere, I have a way to get into single leg X. If I'm standing, I know how to get there. If I'm playing guard, I know how to get there. Um, I, I really feel comfortable that I can get there from almost anywhere. And then from there, I have a series of moves that will get me most of the time I use that as a sweeping position. So that's kind of like a funnel that I built for myself. And most of the time, like probably 90% of the time, if I'm going to wind up on top position, it's because I did a single leg X guard sweep. So that's an example for me personally of like ident using the 80-20 rule to figure out where I'm strong and then going backwards from there to figure out different techniques to get into that area of strength. Well, we all know you didn't get there from a takedown. That is true. <laughs> but no, there's, I mean, there's something to be said for that, right? Like I'm, I'm not the biggest, strongest, most athletic guy. And I'm also not super comfortable with takedowns. And frankly, I just, I don't really enjoy takedowns that much. So most of my game plan, even from standing involves clever and deceptive ways to get into single AX card mm -hmm. by like, basically like doing kind of like, almost like, um, for lack of a better term, like flying sweeps or diving sweeps. Um, I do a lot of entries where I go right from standing into single leg X without any intermediate guard. And I just, I've trained those enough that I feel quite comfortable in them. Mm -hmm. So from what you described, Steve, you like single X guard. That's the position you're trying to get to. 
you uh, you uh, you were very critical of your own game and you realized that the issue um, you were having problems finding entries and then the appropriate remedy for the uh, the, pro- the appropriate solution for the problem was improving your engagement fighting understanding your the grip battles and the hand fighting that would lead you into that inside channel to get your single leg exactly X. basically you work backwards right you figure out what is my goal and that which in this case is single leg X guard and then I work backwards from there well what kind of positions will get me there what how do I get from almost anywhere on the bottom or from standing into that position yeah and it's also important when you choose your the the end point of your funnel a lot of the time it's not just about what move you're good at but it's about what move is strategically and philosophically sound for you so in in my in the case of me um, I don't compete I I basically just do jujitsu for fun and I I got into jujitsu for self-defense so for me I have really three primary goals in almost anything I do. Number one, it's got to work in a self-defense situation. Number two, it's got to work in gi or in, if if not in gi, at least in a street fight situation. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll use moves that require the gi, but I'm not going to do some like crazy lapel stuff that would be unlikely to work in self-defense. So most of whoa, the- Whoa, 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 come on. <laughs> so most of the moves that I do um, either don't require the gi or they use the gi in a way that would be realistic for self-defense. Um, I also want moves that work up on opponents of any size and moves that won't result in me getting totally killed, right? Like, like I don't I don't like moves where the result of injury is very high. So that's that's why I like single leg X. I find it checks all of those boxes and I feel comfortable getting into that position. I feel like I know what my opponent is likely to do. So I built a funnel that gets me there. And I, I feel like doing that has really improved my ability to take dominant position on my opponent. I, I think your comment just triggered Keenan a little bit. As we all know, lapel guard is probably the safest self-defense scenario. Of course. <laughs> well, I, I will say this about lapel guard. If he's it wearing... sucks when you get stuck it in it, suck. right? Uh, but that's... If he's wearing a house coat, you can yeah. use it. <laughs> well, the, the reason I don't play a lot of those games, too, is I just don't have crazy good grip strength. So I find that the thing about stuff like lapel guard is there's so many questions around it. Like if, you're, if your mm-hmm. opponent's gi is still tucked in or if he's like mm-hmm. spent like the whole night before starching his gi so it doesn't yeah. even bend like you know um, I, I don't want to say his name but you and I trained with this high level judo guy for a long time and like his gi was like a piece of cardboard it had no bend in exactly it who you're I'm not even about. sure how he puts that thing on like it had no bend you'd go to grab the lapel and it would be like just like a piece of rebar All so right. <laughs> I know a guy uh, we'll just say as our former instructor who went to the worlds and you know you know you, I know exactly you know what, what I'm going to say. say you know how house coats have that little string that sort of prevents like you, you, your lapel can open in a house coat but it's tied together through a string well this gentleman who uh <laughs> Will remain unnamed. Put a little string into his gi so that if his lapel opens, it's going to be hard for his opponent to play a worm guard, and he, the which funny, is hilarious. The funniest thing too is he didn't do this on the down low. He was so proud of this, like he so, was running around the gym yeah, talking about so how like it was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, and and pass through gi check. Yeah. Pretty pretty hilarious. I I gotta say that's a funny strategy. Um, and and also you know when you're when you're figuring out your funnels, so a few things that might influence how you develop up your funnels is um you know body type of course Mm -hmm. uh even just watching your favorite fighters you're gonna try usually you're gonna mimic the techniques of the people that you enjoy watching um Mm -hmm. you know depends who you follow online and what competitors you like 
what techniques interest you. Uh, another big thing is if you have injuries, like you talk, Steve, you use single leg X because you find it's pretty safe on your on your legs or whatever. But that won't be the case for everyone. Some people no, put a for single me, leg X and yeah. they, they, like it triggers their knees here. But for me, I, I feel super safe there. I'm, I'm one of them. Like uh, I, I do like single leg X. Ever since I got my knee fixed, I play it a lot more. But before it was, it was not a good position for me to go there with my knees. And I would always have to have uh, if I get there, I would use it as a transitionary piece. I'd be able, I needed to find ways to stay safe. This is another reason why injuries can actually be a good thing because they can open up other other uh, avenues for you to go to knowing that you have to favor certain parts of your body. You can really diversify your game. And and I've gone through my fair share of injuries and this has been the case pretty much every time. We I think we've talked in the past about how injuries aren't necessarily a negative thing. Sometimes they can be a blessing in disguise. Uh, even though they are pretty depressing. And and also another thing that can help you shape your game, of course, is your instructor. Your instructor's style uh, of jiu-jitsu and also their teaching style. For example, I now like to put strings on all my geese so that no one can play worm guard on me. And you also like to boot your opponent in the dick and use that as a sweep. Yeah, for those who don't know, <laughs> for those who don't know, Rob Bernacki has uh, his Nogi no Delahiva formula. He's got the taint sweep and all. Basically, um, and it's not it's actually nothing new. Like I think I think the the crew kuru guard involves stomping the penis pretty ruthlessly and it's, it's honestly just like a leg elevation but the fact that you like specifically call it like a taint sweep is going yeah. to give it a little bit more color yeah the the taint sweep <laughs> a taint being that moment between the testicles and the butthole that's like the Rob Bernacki experience you know you first start watching this guy's stuff and and training with him and for the first week you're like this is a really interesting way of thinking about this stuff. And then after the first month, you're thinking, oh, I'm doing all of these barren bolos and I'm doing all of these leg locks and this is awesome. And then after like day 100, you're like, okay, how can I kick the guy in the dick? How do I, how do I, how do I get this? Like, that's your funnel. Your funnel is like the guy's taint. That's it's, where it all ends. It's actually <laughs> such an effective way to sweep the guy because there's no way he can resist a, a, a swift foot in the taint especially if you have both levers it's like it's basically a guaranteed sweep uh, and there's nothing in the rules against it so I think we've talked about this too it's like um, it reminds me of pro wrestling where it's like it's illegal to strike your opponent in the groin but there's nothing saying you cannot lift your opponent up and drop them groin first onto your knee so there, <laughs> there are like pro wrestling moves where guys will do that and it's like oh this is legal because I, I didn't kick him in the groin his groin fell on me and that's basically what all of these moves are like you're not kicking your opponent in the balls you are you are maneuvering your foot in such a way that your opponent must either sit balls first on your foot or fall over yeah. <laughs> always target the genitals if you can you know you're basically like a gas pedal right to the junk. I've basically forgotten at this point what this episode was about. I think we were talking about balls. Yeah, I think I think this was the balls episode. Um, and, and actually, oh, yeah, funneling. Back on track now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah, so when it, anyway, Matt, what were we talking about? We were, how did we get to this? We were talking about, I mean, hey. We're, I, we're talking about what influences your, uh, your funnels. Ah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And what your instructor does will influence, yeah. probably in most cases, it will greatly influence where your game goes. Although I, I found personally, once I got closer to black belt, I started looking elsewhere and thinking more critically about what worked for me and kind of moving away from the stuff that my instructor did and really carving out a niche 
of my yeah. own. And, and that's an important thing to understand so too. Important. Yeah, the thing is when you create these funnels, they're going to change over time. Oh God, every, I haven't, I've been training over a decade now and sorry to cut you off. I've, I've, I've never, my game has never stayed the same. Yeah. Ever. So, like it changes all the time. Yeah, so I don't think it's a good thing if you've been using the same funnels from white belt all the way up until, you know, you hit like, you know, a much, much higher level. I think that funneling is something that you should be reapproaching and reassessing constantly. You know, I used to, for example, do a lot of uh, tripod sweeps. And the reason why is because I would play a lot of Delaheva guard. And the reason why is because my instructor trains under Delaheva. But at some point, I kind of realized you know, I really suck at this Delaheva guard and I don't like being there. Yeah. And so I moved away from that whole funnel and that's when I moved more towards single leg X. Now you go for the inside channel. Exactly, which is a whole other thing to talk about. Um, but yeah, so I, I think the important thing there to understand about funneling is you always want to be questioning where you're, what you're trying to funnel towards and that's something that will change as you get more experienced. And Matt, to your point, when you get injured, that might force you to reassess what actually works better for you. Yeah, like for example, in the gi, I love having my legs around the outside. Like I enjoy Delahiva a lot more than single leg X. But in no gi, now that you have all these heel hook options and the game opens up a little bit and you have less less to grip on in the open guard, I, I, I would almost rather be in the inside channel. So depending on the rule set, depending on where you are in your stage uh, of your journey or depending on the uh, your body, if you're injured or not, you're... You, I look at funneling as kind of a fluid thing. Like mm -hmm. it, it should be changing over time. And if it's not that you're, you're probably going to be plateauing pretty bad. Right. So be critical of yourself, be critical of your, uh, you know, try to try to eliminate false positives and really look like, am I being successful because I'm really good at this or do other people just suck at this and also be really critical about your instructor, you know, have, have an open dialogue with them and be honest with them that maybe you want to diversify your game and get their opinions on that. Because if your instructor is very, um, if they're very one-sided and and for, for instance i know a guy who who doesn't even do takedowns he's a he's a, a gym owner he doesn't do takedowns i know a lot of people who don't even do takedowns like like i understand that you want to pull guard i i pull guard probably 80 percent of the time in training but that's not the best way to teach people because people might want to learn takedowns they might want to be a top player they might want to know more self-defense oriented uh grappling techniques so it's like you do need to think about your instructor's strengths and weaknesses as well to have a more well-rounded picture. And that starts with critical thinking. Yeah, everyone is going to come into life with their own series of biases, even your instructor. Like, don't don't look at a black belt and think that just because they're a black belt, they must be some, like, wise old master who has no biases. Like, a lot of the time, people who are experienced have the worst biases because they're entrenched in their thinking. And people do that all the time. Like, now, now that I'm a, a gym owner, I, I realize, like, there are people that, first of all, I, I get way more respect as a gym owner than as a chef. <laughs> as a chef, people used to shit on me. It was a thankless job. Now that I'm a gym owner, like I go to a tournament, tournament, people are calling me sir, professor. I'm like, whoa, like, don't call me that. Like it, it is. It, it freaks is, me out. I don't like it. It's personally. weird. Like I don't, I don't want to be called professor. The worst is master. It's yeah. just the, like, I'm, I'm a master of no one. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, like, like <laughs> you need to to understand that you if you're a white belt or or maybe you you know you're new to jujitsu and you you know you're kind of in awe because your instructor knows so much about jujitsu. Take a step back and just realize that they are a person and that they do need to also apply critical thinking to their style and that 
maybe they can't teach you everything. I see a lot of students that are at schools that tend to put their instructor up on a pedestal and it kind of disturbs me a little bit. Like I want my guys to not only be able to make fun of me and have jokes, but also to be very critical about why I'm teaching certain things. You know, why, why do I do something a certain way and not just say, not just do it because I'm telling them to do it. I, I almost, uh, it's almost like uh, that concept in the military decentralized command where you make where you allow people to make their own decisions based upon what's best for their current situation rather than just following orders like you're going to I'm gonna, you're going to do this technique because I'm your instructor and I'm telling you to do it. It's not the best way to absorb information. It's not the best way to build your funnels. Yeah, yeah. The thing is ultimately at the end of the day your instructor is a different person than you and that you might love your instructor, you might have a great relationship with them, but ultimately you're not the same person. You might not have the same body type, the same physical attributes, the same goals, the same age. the <laughs> same age, or the same strategies. So just because you like your instructor doesn't mean you have to do things exactly the same way as they do. And I think a common mistake that people make is, like you said, Matt, they they feel like they have to do things because their instructor does them, and they they put the black belt on the pedestal and they just kind of follow blindly. But you're the funnels that you build do not have to map one-to-one to whatever your instructor is doing. They, you know, you ultimately want to do things because they make sense for your game and your goals and your body type and your attributes, not because they are the things that your instructor is most comfortable in. Now, maybe you'll get lucky and your your strengths will be exactly the same as your instructor's, but honestly, that's probably the exception more than the rule. Mm-hmm. And you tend to see certain schools... Uh, have the same sort of games. Like when I talked to Dominic Bell, he was like, yeah, at Autos, we all pretty much play the same thing. We all play single leg X. You know, we all have the same sort of style. And that's kind of natural. You know, like a lot of the time, the the, the culture of the school will be very similar. But you're definitely going to get guys that are, you know, they play all different types of games and variations. So it, I, I think it's important to have those differences. Um, and to also, if, if you are building your games and you're not quite sure about like what your funnels are just have an open mind be flexible and understand that it's going to change over time things are going to change in your life your body uh you know your approach you're going to see a new technique that you that really blows your mind and you want to try that for a while or maybe you go into a tournament you try and do certain techniques and they're not successful so you go back to the drawing board right so there's you know just keeping it fluid and keeping it flexible and and keeping your mind uh always having that beginner's mind is a really important thing fantastic Anything else we want to talk about on that topic, Matt? Maybe some more taints. Yeah. And laser we, tag, obviously. We, we should release, like, a, a whole guidebook on, like, funneling to the taint. Like, taint-based funneling, laser tag-based funneling. How, get, get to the taint. Like, every no matter what you're doing, whether it's a takedown or a sweep, it's like you want... It all needs to be taint-based. Monkey snatches the peach. <laughs> I will say this about laser tag. Uh... Kids are so easy to get points on, not only because they're small, but because they're slow and stupid, but also because, <laughs> also because, uh, you know, d- doesn't matter if you're 250 pounds or 80 pounds, uh, the vest is the same size. So you, it's the same size target. Yeah. So, and you know what else is the same size target on everyone? They're taint. Exactly. <laughs> oh God. It's actually not true. It's and I don't want to say more than this because we're talking about yeah. children, but, but it, <laughs> it, it, the, the one thing about the taint is it is a great equalizer. It is an effective target on everybody. It's like that, that is the one, it, it is an equalizer <laughs> and it, and it doesn't discriminate between gender as well. <laughs> 
Okay, we're going to get into trouble. Let's yeah. wrap this up. Okay, so recapping this episode in terms of the mental models that we talked about, we talked about funneling as popularized by Nelson Puentes from Inverted Gear. Basically, this is the notion that you want to build game plans that take away your opponent's options mm -hmm. and force them into your areas of strength and comfort where you know what your opponent is going to do, you're comfortable, you have a lot of options, and your opponent does not have many. Um, if you have not read his article on this, I highly recommend um, just Googling inverted gear funneling and you will find the article. Yes, Matt? I love that upside down panda. He's so cute. I do love the upside down. Panda. It's a, such a cool logo. I feel like I can relate to it. Like you know, it's you know, I was talking to my club about this. How you know, back in the two thousands, all of the martial arts gear was like all douchey. It was all like tribal and like paint splatter and skulls. And now it's all like cute animals. Careful, and... probably a lot of our listeners have those tattoos. I, I know, I know. And... <laughs> a lot of mistakes were made in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. But now, like all of the gear that you buy, it's got like unicorns and pandas, and it's all about being as cute as you possibly it's can. It's true. Yeah. My favorite rash guard is that I've got a tatami rash guard with a sloth on it wearing a black belt and I'm going to be so sad when that yeah. one like gets holes in it because I love that one. The the slower and dumber and fatter the animal, the, the, the cooler. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, the more spiritually related it is to jujitsu in a lot of ways. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Other mental models. We talked about <laughs> asymmetric warfare. This is honestly just a good strategy in life. You always want to fight where you're strong and mm -hmm. your opponent is weak. Doesn't matter if it is related to work or jujitsu or whatever that's always a good way to play um, predictable responses this is so important in funneling because the idea of a funnel is to get to an area where you're experienced and you know what the predictable responses are uh, Matt, you talked about mindfulness, meaning in this case, you want to kind of take a step out of your own head and really assess objectively what's happening, especially mid-match, because you've got to know when your funnel is not working and you've got to switch it up and ideally have another funnel ready for a plan B. Mid-match in competition, but also mid-journey in life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes it happens in the moment, but sometimes it's more of like a middle-age crisis type thing where you need to really assess whether what you've been doing for the last 10 years is still an effective way to do it. It's like Buzz. Lightyear said, all those years in the Academy wasted. Profound. <laughs> People who understand Toy Story will know that reference. You know what? I still haven't watched Toy Story 2 through 4, and I feel like I've missed out on some of the greatest movies ever. I don't miss them much. It's for kids. <laughs> uh, we talked about myopia, um, also known as like tunnel vision or having blinders on, basically where you get so focused on what you're doing, like usually in the case of I want to get the submission, that you're not really opening up your mind to analyzing other options. Usually this means you're going to lose whatever you had you've got to be able to understand when what you're doing isn't working and you need to bail out and move on to something else that is so important to being successful in jiu-jitsu no one to fold them yep we talked about the 80 20 rule meaning knowing where the majority of your successes are coming from also knowing where the majority of your failures are coming from and that's really should be the focus of your funnel getting to where you're strong and patching up where you're weak and matt you talked about respecting people and not positions meaning <laughs> don't assume that just because your instructor does something that that's what you should build your funnel around. Uh, you should be building things that are in line with your strengths and in line with your strategies. That should be the focus of your funnel. You, you don't want to build a funnel based around what your instructor is strong in. Really, your game plan is something that is unique to you and you shouldn't do something just because professor tells you that that's what you should do. 
Very cool. cool. Should I read this question? Are we reading, are we reading that whole thing? This is a pretty long one, and honestly, it kind of cringe. I, I okay. So when I when we received this message, honestly, it kind of made me cringe because I could almost feel the pain through the words. That's but sad. Basically, we got a message saying uh, I've been training jujitsu for about eight years. Um, had a lot of injuries, but I had a pretty bad one last week. Basically, the the gist of it is that something went wrong. There was a bit uh, a twist to the neck, numbness in the in the right hand, which is never a good thing. As soon no. as someone says numbness in their arm that is a very very bad thing but basically it the long and the short of it is this person got a pinched nerve in their c6 and really what they want to know is what to do next obviously they want to get back to training but you know when you have like disc injuries or pinched nerves this is a pretty severe thing um so the, the basically we're, we've been reached out to and asked how can you, you know what what can you do in a situation like this how do you get back to training um my general advice is there are some injuries you just do not want to train through. Uh, one of them is neck injuries. If you have a disc injury or if you have a pinched nerve, um, that's one of those injuries where you just don't want to train through it. No. There, there are also different types of back or knee injuries where I feel if you try to train through them, not only are you going to make it worse for your training, but you're going to make it worse for the rest of your life. Like you're going to, if you get, for example, an elbow injury or yeah. possibly a wrist injury or an ankle injury, these are things where if you are strategic and you trust your training partner and you take it light, you can maybe adapt your game plan and come up with some things that you can do to keep on the mats. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend full sparring, but even without full sparring, maybe you can do some movement drills. Yeah. That, now that said, <clears throat> if you have a pinched nerve or a disc injury, don't play that game. Like you need to make sure that you're working with professionals to rehab. And if it's going to take time, you need to let it take time. These are not the types of injuries that you want to try to power through because the risk is too great. You know, you could wind up not just shortening your jujitsu career, but you could wind up shortening your, your life or, or dramatically reducing your future success if you try to power through a vertebrate injury. So my suggestion is this is not something I feel particularly qualified to give good advice on, except for go see a specialist and make sure that you do what they tell you. Don't try to be a hero in this case. Take the time to heal properly. Yeah, this is actually a letter from a woman. Uh, her name is... No, 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 don't, don't read the name. I don't know if we have consent to read the name. It's a first name. Uh, I still wouldn't do it. Okay. Well, anyways, um, so she said, um, <clears throat> you know, the, of course, what Steve said, she got this pain in her neck and that uh, in the back in the day, she would just take ibuprofen. First of all, uh, I, I really try to avoid taking ibuprofen. The only time I take ibuprofen usually is if I have pain that is preventing me from getting out of bed. For instance, after I got my knee fixed, I took ibuprofen for one day. I don't like taking ibuprofen. I, I, I think it's bad for your digestive system. And it also just um, numbing, tr trying to numb the, the pains of training. Regular training is not a good habit to get into. Obviously, uh, like a neck injury that's preventing you from doing things in life. I would, you know, painkillers are, are reasonable but mm -hmm. but just using that as a band-aid for issues just in general i'm i'm very much against another thing that this letter says is how she her remedy is basically going to a chiropractor and i'm not sold on chiropractors i know that i i know several people who tell me that seeing a chiropractor has changed their life and allowed them to do things like walk properly and and things like that um I prefer to look at uh, injuries in a holistic approach. So if, if I was going to go see a chiropractor for something, 
I would also make sure that I'm not just doing chiropractor work because just getting an adjustment every few days or every few weeks is not going to fix you. It's just, it's just not. You have to put in the work. You have to go to physio, right? Usually physio will work wonders and even things, I, I think it's called IMS, like needling, things like that uh, works for people as well because it releases, uh, you know, for me, I have a I have a neck issue, not so much with with my discs, luckily, but but from muscle uh, tightness and spasms and stuff. So I find that that actually really helped me uh, release my neck. Also, things like RMT, you know, see get a, get a massage therapist, not the kind that are just gonna like relax you, but the kind that are actually gonna release muscles. Yeah. Um, it's if your massage it hurts, yeah. it hurts, but it, it works. Yeah. If your massage therapist is like pulling out like crystals and incense, that's not the right type of massage <laughs> therapist. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and and um, like I said, physio proper stretching see like steve said seeing a specialist is really important now also um if you have a disc issue in your neck you know you got to be real careful like we were talking about uh you, you, like steve mentioned if it's an elbow injury it's probably not a big deal but like necks backs knees and shoulders are, are really things you need to protect in in uh in jiu-jitsu now now that i'm doing uh i'm a professional gym owner i look at doing physio and strength training and stretching as an investment it's like i'm putting money away for later on in life right and it truly is because you want to get as much out of your body while while it's still young so um in terms of longevity just put that as your goal longevity you're not going to get that from just getting adjustments from your chiropractor you've got to look in the full swing of things you got to strengthen the area okay i i would highly recommend against surgery if possible but um with you know with the proper rest and care you should be able to return that doesn't mean you're going to be able to wrestle hard it doesn't mean you're going to be able to like go upside down and you got to be careful with who you roll with obviously you, you don't want to go with people like being there's nothing wrong with being uh selective about who you roll with mm-hmm. like i think that's a really important thing especially if you're smaller if you're injured right it, you you don't want to go with a brand new white belt who has no idea how to how to hold their weight or someone who's much bigger than you um and and uh, lastly my recommendation and i'm no doctor uh i this person says that they used ice on their neck usually neck injuries if it's a muscle issue i've been told to use heat not ice Interesting. Uh, I, do, I don't know uh if, if it's a disc issue if i'd recommend ice or heat but uh, for me using heat loosens up my neck and i know that it's it's different if it's if it's musculature for, or if it's a disc issue with a pinched nerve those are two very different things but um definitely think about rehab uh physio and also tracking so Sometimes ways you can do this, you can, uh, I've used a belt before to, uh, one of my instructor has, has the same, I don't know if it's the exact same thing, but had a pinched nerve and actually caused his arm to atrophy and he lost a lot of muscle in one of his arms. Uh, one of the things that, that they, uh, they recommend for such an injury is to actually, uh, gently pull the head away and create space within the vertebrae to allow the nerve to uh, ease up or get something like an inversion table I've been told will help um, such a thing. So 
you know, tracking and muscle release and uh, physio and strengthening the area as well as uh, chiropractic work would be my best recommendation. Yeah, that's, there's some really good points there. I mean, again, just to reiterate, neither neither of us are are doctors or physiotherapists. So I, I I do find that, um, Matt, as you mentioned, a lot of the things that are considered to be like common knowledge as to what you should do in the case of an injury often turns out not to be true, or, or maybe it's only true in some context. I mean, as an example, you know, you, you mentioned this, uh, this person has mentioned putting ice on her neck. I actually don't know if that's the right thing to do or not. Um, I used to use ice all the time like crazy, but the last time I had a knee injury, my, my physio told me, you know, apparently if you use ice too long, it can actually cause problems because, um, like if you, if you use ice for more than like 15 minutes, what he told me, he said like the magic time is like, 10 to 15 minutes for icing. If you over ice something like for like 30 minutes, then actually it can like create ice crystals inside your body, which can inflame the area and it might even make it worse. So a lot of the time, just because something is, you know, tribal knowledge or considered, you know, like something that everyone does, that doesn't mean it's actually a good idea. Uh. Yeah. Ibuprofen is an interesting one, Matt, to your point, because yeah, if you have like something that is really wrong with you, taking something just to numb the pain is maybe not the greatest habit to get into. But that said, um, a physio or a doctor might actually prescribe it in some situations because it anti-inflammatories can actually help in the right circumstance. So it, this really, this all kind of, here's a funnel for you. Like where we're funneling you is go and see a specialist. Um, yeah, definitely see a specialist. Don't yeah. just rely on a, chiro- a chiropractor to, to totally fix you. Yeah. If you want to use that to help you, that's great. But don't just think that that's going to be the answer. Yeah. The usual, like any kind of like quick fix is not going to fix the problem. The pro- the actual fix is going to require doing physical rehabilitation. Yeah, and it's going to take work. Yeah. And any solution that does not involve that is probably kind of snake oil. Like really, you need to have physical rehabilitation involved in the recovery process. Um as far as chiropractic goes, yeah, they, chiropractic is an odd one because on, on one hand, there really isn't any like actual scientific evidence that it works. But on the other hand, Matt, as you mentioned, I, I know a lot of people who have just sworn up and down that it is life-changing. And I mean, is it a placebo for them? Possibly, but honestly, if it worked, does it matter? Like the placebo effect is powerful. Um, The thing about chiropractic is that (laughs) I I don't mean to offend anyone here because I know that a lot of people love their chiropractor and that's fine. Um, It is a situation where there really isn't a lot of science behind it, but a lot of anecdotal um, testimony that I've heard is people say it's like changed their lives. The thing to bear in mind about it though, ultimately is that it, um, it doesn't come with any proven benefit, but there is some degree of proven risk. Like people have actually had like artery damage or, you know, even stroke from a a bad chiropractic experience. It's rare, but it has happened. So I, I would just say, do your research and don't assume that just because everyone else says you should do something that is the right thing to do. There's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of tribal knowledge that isn't necessarily true. Um, but the one thing I would definitely suggest you do is make sure you go see a doctor and go see physio. That's something that across the board for any bad injury, you want to make sure that you involve your doctor, um, your, like your, an MD, an actual MD doctor, and you involve a physiotherapist. Absolutely. And if you are on the ibuprofen kick, might as well try CBD as well, because a lot of CBD products are coming out. And I actually have started using a, a CBD product 
for uh, after training inflammation and it, it actually does uh, it, whether or not it's it, maybe it's a placebo maybe it's not but it, I do notice a little bit of a difference so you know now that that's cannabis is becoming kind of a mainstream thing it might might not hurt to try if you're if you're running out of options I think it's probably safer for your digestive system than overuse of ibuprofen actually do you do you happen to know if cbd is legal in the states yet because we're, we're canadian so of course up here it's fine but in the states i think I'm it depends sure. on which state you're in but yeah certain states i believe it is legal if nate diaz can smoke it up during his open workout <laughs> then presumably it can't be that illegal yeah, times times are changing so <laughs> you know there's always that as well if you're thinking about anti-inflammatories anyway hope hope that helps a lot um again we're not specialists but i do hope that this has been helpful and of course to the rest of you as always any questions comments please do share you can email us um you can catch us on facebook go to our website uh this is a show that we really much want to be a two-way dialogue so we always look forward to having your questions and your suggestions for what we can do in future episodes we also set up a cool mailing list if you go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash join you can get spam from matt in your inbox every once in a while possibly from me um, i'll try to make sure there's lots of like cute animal pictures maybe baby pictures sometimes maybe relevant jujitsu stuff but i can't make any promises yeah and, and last but not least um we've been thinking about maybe adding like an intro yeah is matt- there any musicians or djs out there that want to make a Yeah, so so this is a good point. Matt and I are both crap at music and quite lazy. So if you've got, if there's anyone out there who has any idea how to make a cool intro, I mean, I'm fine not having one, but if, if someone out there wants to put together like a really cool intro, as long as it's not like some sort of like old mystical, like, you know, like the old like bamboo flute type stuff, as long as it's not that, and as long as it's not death metal, we'd be happy to consider it. So feel free to send us a bumper if anyone wants to get creative. Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.